Check, check, check. One, two, one, two. Welcome to Live and Direct. This is your host, Craddy. How's everyone doing out there? On this week's episode, I talked to Reed Speed. She's a DJ. She's been a DJ for about as long as you can be a DJ. She was there at the beginning, and she's been doing it ever since. Played through every genre and every fad. She's seen it all, and she's got a lot to say, and uh, she's not afraid to say it. So check it out. Reed Speed on Live and Direct. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Live and Direct. This is Craddy. I'm here with Reed Speed. She's been a DJ for since 96, I believe. She's played every genre. She has a record label. She's toured all over the world. And she's kind enough to come here and talk to me for a little while. Thanks for uh, letting me come over and invade your studio here, Reed. Thanks for coming. It's my pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah, it's cool to be here. So the cool thing, I, I was looking through your bio the other day, doing some research, and I saw that you worked at Breakbeat Science, which really impressed me because for me, I grew up on drum and bass, or I came up on drum and bass, I mean, and um, Breakbeat Science was like the American flagship of drum and bass. That's what everyone talked about. How did that all come about? Yeah, I mean, that was it was a really interesting time in the scene there. Uh, I was you know, DJing, had some residencies, and I used to do all my shopping at Breakbeat Science as soon as the store opened. Of course, it was like a jungleist's dream come yeah, true. Yeah, totally. So, and it was only uh, about 10 blocks away from my house that I, or my apartment that I lived in when I was going to school in New York. And a friend of mine had gotten a job there. And literally a week after he got the job... He was accepted to a study abroad program that he had applied for three years earlier. Uh-huh. And he asked me if I could take over his job while he went to study abroad. And he never came back. Oh, really? <laughs> so I ended up just keeping his job, which was really neat. It was an amazing place. It, uh, it's kind of hard now because with the internet, but before the internet, we had record stores and yeah. that's where the, it was like communion, like the community would meet there and yeah. that's where the new music was discussed and, you know, the promos would come in yeah. and it, it was really exciting because that was the first stop of all the drum and bass records in the United States came through the store at yeah. that time. So, you know, we would see all the records when they first were promoted and all the uh-huh. DJs who were in town would come by the store and it was, it was just a really... It was like a beehive of activity for the scene. And it was really, I feel very grateful that I had the opportunity to even have that experience. It really, it got me established in my career. You know, I used the platform. I started mailing mixtapes to all my customers who bought records from me. And that's how I started getting booked out of state. Yeah. So it was. That's awesome. It worked out really well. It's an amazing opportunity. Yeah. And it was just cool. You know, it was, it was, that was a time when. The music was new and fresh and it was still really underground and we had a very special scene that it would be hard to recreate that now. Do you think, yeah, do you think that's missing from this, the world that we're living in now, the DJ EDM world? I hate this, call it the EDM world, but you know what I mean? It's just so different now. Like back then it literally was a physical community that you had to make the pilgrimage to the store. Yeah, yeah. It was like a, a, you had to buy the record and you had to talk to people and you had to know about stuff. It, It was, you had to 
interact with other people to do it. Whereas now you can just be online searching for stuff. You can just download stuff. You can read bulletin boards and see what everyone thinks is cool. And you never need to talk to one person. Yeah, that's true. And I feel like I, I feel like now the internet, you know, has replaced the record store. You know, between right. SoundCloud and Bandcamp sure. and Facebook and Beat Twitter, board. just all the places those are the places that we commune at now yeah. is on the internet. And so now you don't have to have that physical proximity. You don't need to make that pilgrimage. Anyone, if, you, if you're if you persistent enough and you know how to get people's attention the right way, mm-hmm. you can get your track heard by whoever, yeah. insert famous producer or label owner's name here. And so I, I think back then it was definitely, you had to be a lot more dedicated to it yeah. because you know the equipment costs a lot of money and just to exactly. get heard, you had to go out you know, night after night, you had to meet the people and right. and make the physical human connection with them before someone was going to consider if you were a viable DJ to book or not. Do you think that buffer zone disappearing has, and like this huge influx of DJs, do you think that's been a good or a bad thing? I think it's both. It, I mean, there's good things about it because now anyone, anywhere who maybe didn't have the ability to physically go somewhere can now be heard uh-huh, by the sure. people they're trying to get the their their music to. So I think that's a wonderful thing. But the downside of that is that we're constantly bombarded by bad music. And yeah. now you have to sift through so much more bad exactly. music just to get to the good stuff. So it's now it's exponentially more stuff to sift through. So it's it's a lot harder. And now because of the way the internet has I don't know if it's democratized the the playing field in a way sort of but you know everyone (sighs) now you can buy fans or now if you take good selfies you can become very famous very fast with very little to no musical or production skill you may not even know how to dj you could just pay someone to make a track for you and if you have enough money to market yourself the right way and get yourself heard by the right people yeah you too can have a career in do you EDM. know people who have careers like that yes you do yeah who has careers like that yeah i don't need to say <laughs> that we don't need to call out people for but what do you think about the whole ghostwriting phenomenon i mean it seems I mean, like i it's think it's really stupid because what what is that i mean we're i crave authentic experiences yeah. in life like i would I don't understand. I can't relate to someone who would like to pay someone to do something for them that they don't have any interest in doing so that they can get paid money to do another thing they don't have interest in doing. Right. It's like, I really love DJing. Like, the act of DJing is like, for me, it's better than any drug. It's like the thing that, that brings me better peace than in sex. life. It's better than sex. It's <laughs> better than drugs. It's better than anything. It's like... It's the ultimate high to take music and put it together in a new way uh-huh. and, and and make, manipulate people's serotonin levels by playing certain music in a certain way. You know, you can pay anyone all the money you want and, and press play and play all the B-Port Top 100 and you're not going to be able to do that. Right. I think what's sad now is that the average consumer of EDM does not want an authentic experience. That right. is not what they want. They want someone to throw a cake at them and they uh-huh. want someone to tell them what to do and when when to get excited and when to put their hands up and, oh, I'm going to jump on top of you. I'm going to throw myself on you. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, now DJs are the new rock stars. And right. And and this, the sad part to me is that 
the average person doesn't want an authentic experience. Yeah. But of course, the people who do want it, they still exist, and the underground is thriving more than ever now. So how does that uh, how does that affect you when you're playing live shows and you have a crowd where you like if you're playing like a big festival show, it's not necessarily read read speed fans. People are just there, and they're like they want the you know the crowd riding and everything. And you can feel it, you know, because you're sensitive to the crowd. You know what's up and you know what they want. And yeah. you're like, do you do it? Do you play into it? Do you kind of, are you like, no, listen, this is the real deal. You just eventually going to figure it out. I feel like I've always walked the line between giving people what they want and giving people what I want to give them. Sure. And even, you know, as long as I've played, whether it's drum and bass or two-step or breaks or whatever, there's, there's certain songs that I like. I'll never play any music that I don't like. Uh -huh. Like, I wouldn't do that because that would be, to me, that would destroy everything about what I'm trying to create for people. Uh -huh. But there's certainly, yeah, I certainly know there are songs that will provoke a reaction. And if I want to elicit that re response, I'm going to play the song. And it yeah. may be something that's, quote, super played out. Um, <laughs> but I feel like because I'm not, I'm not a Diplo or a Skrillex, I'm not necessarily famous because I'm a famous producer. I'm not really necessarily famous at all. I'm just kind of... Well, you're kind of famous. I'm like an underground... You have a ton of interviews online, actually. I read a, like <laughs> four or five interviews today and watched a few video interviews. I oh. mean, you know, like a, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of my shows now, let's say 50% of the people uh -huh. have no idea who I am. They Maybe they saw some picture of a girl on a flyer and they're like, oh, cool, chick DJ, yeah, uh -huh. turn up. <laughs> and, and Or maybe they think that because of Play Me, they know about Play Me, or maybe they've heard some trap mix that I put out, you know, that got a lot of play, so they're like, oh, trap, trap this, whatever. And then other people are like, oh, just play, like, Play Me stuff, dubstep. But yeah. then fully 50% of the people that might come to see me at any show are, like, older and they want drum and bass. Right. So I have to, like find the sweet spot between yeah. the kids, the 18-year-old kids who don't know who I am, then they just want to turn up, and the older people who really want to hear stuff that they really like me for and have been following me for years for. Yeah, right. So I feel like I, you know, I do a good job of that. I try to, you know, there's always people who are going to be mad about whatever you do. It doesn't matter. Yeah, sure. You could, like, save a lady from a burning building, and someone's going to be like, fuck you. Yeah, you got ash on her dress. <laughs> yeah, like, so <laughs> you can't really, um, whatever, but... I mean, I think it's it's always a challenge. Now, I, I, I enjoy the challenge of what today's crowds bring more yeah. than I did when it was literally drum and bass snob purists who yeah. only wanted to hear certain tracks that obviously well, no American DJs had access to anyway, and then they would just be <laughs> pissy at you that you didn't play songs that you didn't have. It's like now we have the internet, and you can pretty much have any song. Yeah. So... Now well, and I mean, you, before you weren't allowed to play. If you were a drum and bass party and you dropped a house track, you oh, would get yeah. just dragged out. I used to get shit on. I mean, I was a resident of a of a crew that threw huge raves, and I used to try. I would beg them to put me on other stages. I'd be like, "Let me play two sets. I'll play a drum and bass set. I'll play a two step uh -huh. set. I'll play a break set. I'll play a house set." Right. They're like, "No, you're just a resident drum and bass DJ." Like, blah blah blah. They wouldn't you're not let allowed me. to. Yeah, no, they wouldn't. They literally wouldn't book me to play those other sets. Because it's against the rules, DJ rules. Because back then people were such elitist, purists. Well, so genreified, right? They were, and that was that was people just like, the culture. People like, "I'm in the minimal house, not Chicago house, yeah. not deep house." Yeah, and even with Not drum and bass, house. it's like, oh, oh, you right. play jump up? Oh, I only like I know, tech right? step. I yeah. only like neurofunk. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Please. Yeah. So I think one of the one of the positive things that's happened with the internet culture and all of this stuff happening is that now it's 
it, you're allowed to play multi-genres. And in fact, if you don't play multiple genres, you're kind of shit. Right. So right. that's a step, positive step forward for me. because Unless I, you're playing trance. Then people people still do that? Yeah. Oh, you, you know it. Trance still rules the world as much as like I feel like it's so out of my world. Don't you think it's still... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what trance does. I try to avoid trance at all costs. <laughs> you must have crossed paths with trance, though. I have, and I, I cross as quickly as possible. <laughs> I saw this great quote. Uh, it was another interview you did, and someone asked you, what's, what's, what's the worst thing someone can say to you? Um when you're DJing and it was, you know, oh, do you have any trance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be worse than someone asking me to play Beyonce. Yeah. Because no, the answer will always be, no. I might have a remix of Beyonce, but I definitely do not have any trance remix. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, all right. So I want to ask you about this because I, um, you know, every, being a female DJ and there's that whole question in the male's world and blah, 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 blah. But that's not really what I want to ask you. I mean, what I wonder is, does it piss you off when you people, I'm sure people say to you, you're my favorite girl DJ, like, or you're, or you're in the top 10 of like the female DJ list. Like, why is there, it's not like sprinting, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I mean, uh, you know what I mean? Like we all have the same skills and the same equipment and everything. And, And it's, it's, Definitely, the system is rigged against women, I think. So it's harder, really. But, you know. I mean, uh, it's, it's just such a, it's such a bothersome thing that people in 2014 are still hung up on gender when it comes to music. It's like, I don't feel like in pop music, rock music, that's not a... It doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, with it dance was music, for a while, I guess, though. Yeah, for a long time. I'm sure right? it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's just so boring. I just can't. It's like, <laughs> who cares <laughs> who what you have under the pants or the skirt or right. whatever? It's like, if you're good, you should be judged on your merit. And if you're only good for a girl, but you really suck, like, you shouldn't be getting booked. And if the only reason you're getting booked is because you're naked, right. hopefully it's for some type of, like, Have you a ever heard of Portia party. Surreal? Yes. Oh, you have? Yeah, I've actually seen her do whatever she does. I don't know. I don't, DJ Topless, I guess. Yeah. I that's... Like, cool. You have nice tits. Right. That's cool. Cool. Like, if She plays want... drum and bass, I think, actually. Or she did when I was... I don't know about that. When I heard I about her. I didn't hear her play any drum and bass. Oh, you... Yeah, yeah. I saw her play, like, a Did you guys play ago. at the same gig? Yes. Oh. Yeah, and, you know, whatever. I don't, I mean, I wasn't a fan of the type of music that she was playing. Yeah. And I don't really understand. I can't relate to that in a regular dance music setting where you're like, oh, here's a club and blah, blah, blah. Like, this girl is going to take her top off. Then it's like, it's like how porn sets unrealistic expectations for sex in real life. (laughs) It's just like, that's not real life. Like, normal people, I mean, yeah, sure, maybe some people do walk around topless and maybe maybe people shouldn't really care. But I have, it's like... I don't know if people are in control of their hormones enough where they'd be able to just maintain normal life, civilization, if if everyone walked around naked. I don't think that we're ready for that yet. Right. But, you know, I'm sure there's a time and a place where a topless DJ is appropriate, but at a regular gig, it just doesn't... It, it, it How doesn't, did it go off that night? 
you know, people just want to watch her because she's got her tits out. I yeah. mean, I don't know. I wasn't too impressed with her set. It's yeah. not... You certainly even... she wasn't booked because she's amazing at DJing or she right. has famous tracks and she's a big producer. It's right. like she was booked because her tits are out and like yeah. that's cool if that's your... If that's your gimmick, some dudes get booked because some other dude made their tracks for them. Like it's, I, it's right. akin to that, except at least those are. Well, I don't even think they're actually her tits. I think someone like put some things inside of them. Yeah, I think so. So it's like it's yeah, it's like the same thing. You're it's like, cool, thing. you. You're getting paid for something that someone else did. Yeah, basically. No, no, it's just it's just it's terrible to me that that's it's a thing. You know, I don't know why. It's so hard for women to get ahead, you know. I don't know why people don't, but it, I, I feel like if more women were interested in production, this wouldn't be an issue. Sure. But I don't think a lot of women are truly interested. Now, maybe a lot of women will hate me for saying this, but I don't know a lot of women who are really well. It's not like there's slews of women who want to do it and they're getting turned away. You know, I mean, right. it's always just been the yeah. I mean, there tracks. are there are some women who do want to do it who aren't getting the gigs because maybe sure. they are for a number of reasons too old not attractive enough too right. fat and that's sad to me no right. one cares what a male dj looks like there are so, definitely fat male djs yeah there's fat really ugly <laughs> slovenly dudes that you know fuck chicks all day because they're a dj right but you can't be a female and expect to be taken seriously if you don't look super presentable and if you aren't quote hot everyone's gonna just judge you as shit and that sucks. After I, I, all this time, you, though, you've been in the world for so long. Like, do you still experience that? Or do you feel like where you go, people know you, they respect you? I personally don't really feel like I ever experienced it because I came into it too early. When I came right. into it, I was such an anomaly that right. everyone was so stoked that there was a girl. There was a one, girl, one girl. They were like, yeah. And then... Would you play raves and be the only girl DJing yeah, the whole thing? for a long time. And then yeah. after like the first year in New York... A lot of girls who were who were, you know, in the scene one way or another. I feel like they saw me playing shows and working at the record store and all that. Yeah. And then within a year, there was like fifteen female drum and bass DJs in New York, and right, all of a sudden it right. went from being the only one to like, oh, now all these male promoters are trying to pit us against each other to compete <laughs> against each other, and I don't. I'm not a competitive person in life and I have no interest in competing against uh -huh. other girls or other guys or whatever. It's like you compete on your merits and, yeah. and, and I don't, it shouldn't be even like a competition in the sense of like, it should be more about a collaboration. Sure. To me, that's how I would like to see things go, but that's not how it is. So yeah, they're like, oh, compete against each other. And then this girl like dresses more slutty now because she wants to get more bookings. And oh my God, this girl's getting more all bookings. All this stuff you've been, you've heard talked about and had talked about. Yeah, no, about. this is like back in the back in the day yeah. when, when all these girls were coming up. So you were coming up, you were playing international gig. I mean, I'm sorry, inter, you were getting out of New York and yeah. playing gigs in like Pennsylvania and Jersey and probably... Yeah, I mean, Delaware, I was even going Virginia. other places like Chicago sure. and Texas and Mexico So, and then where did things go from there? Where did things go from there? Just to follow your timeline. Um, well, I was playing, you know, I play, I started playing so many shows that literally they came to me at the Breakbeat Science and said, hey, you, you know, you, you haven't been around for most of the weekends and you work mostly on the weekends. Right. Like, we might need to like not have you work here anymore. They kind of were like, you need to make a choice. Do you want to work at this record store or do you want to be like a touring DJ? And I was like, well, I'm going to just stick with the DJing. Yeah. Because that's, that's really what I choice. wanted out of it. Yeah. Like, sorry, I love you guys and I'd love to keep working here. But if you don't want to like give me a different schedule, then yeah, you're right. I probably can't work here anymore. Uh -huh. So it was cool. Like no hard feelings. Like I just moved on. I kept playing shows. and You probably still in touch with those guys, Dara and... 
Yeah, I still I still see them like yeah. you know occasionally here and there a couple times a year like they're all doing well. Yeah. From from what I can see, they're they're killing it. Yeah. In their own ways. So, but um, after about a year uh, of not working there, uh, one of the guys, the guy who was my manager at the store, his name was Sean Shooter. He approached me with the idea that. Maybe they would like to sign me to, because back in the day, the way you became a famous DJ was you got signed to a mix CD deal. Right. Like you didn't. A mix CD deal. Yeah. You weren't like a producer, like, because no one could afford the equipment back then. So it was right. like only like really rich people or people who were like super nerds that had been building their own computers since right. they were children right. were actually <laughs> producing music. <laughs> like everyone else was just DJing and trying to save up enough money to buy the equipment, which right. I was trying to do that at the same time as well. Yeah. But that was the thing. It was like, oh, you want to get signed to a mix CD deal? And originally, I had been signed by Smile Communications uh-huh. to do a mix CD. And in the middle of my CD, they went bankrupt. So my my CD actually never came out. Oh, damn. So that was right when AM Only started. I had been picked up by AM Only at the time and okay. then summarily dropped by AM Only when my CD deal went down the toilet. They dropped, your booking dropped you too. Yeah, they dropped me because they said they couldn't have a represent an unsigned artist unsigned yeah. well, mixtape signing yeah that's yeah, so funny i mean i don't know that's just like how i remember it maybe yeah. they had like other whatever whatever it was so new at the time I, I think i only did like two shows with them i mean they were brand new they were am only was being run out of the back room of breakbeat science like our stock room oh really yeah oh wow because paul morris the guy who started am only uh-huh. was one of the original investors in breakbeat science oh, okay. so he was doing am only in our back in the back room of, of the <laughs> store, which was a tiny little thing. Like the whole store was probably like 700 yeah. square feet. Tiny. I made like this. I remember when I went there, I felt like it was like arriving in Mecca. I was like, Oh, I'm here. I have to, I have to let's look at what's on the wall. And yeah, it was such a big deal. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was all tight and crazy. And so they, you know, they were trying to like get on their feet as an agency and they had, you know, picked up most of the guys that they had Dara and DB and, yeah. you know, feel good and mm-hmm. DJ Dan and whoever else. And, and then, yeah, I probably only did two shows with them, and then I was dropped by them, and then I was just booking everything myself, and then I got some other agent, and I don't know. And then they approached me with the idea of doing a, signing me to a mix CD deal, and I was like, woohoo, like, yeah, yeah. I made it. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then they come to tell me, this blew my mind. So uh-huh. they, they come to tell me that, so the way that they, they, they expected me to just give them a list of songs and they were going to mix it in Pro Tools. And I was like, Oh, really? What are you talking about? That, that is... was their mix CD idea? Yeah, they were like, No, we can't let you do the mix because no one can do it. Like, we have to pay for the studio and it's so expensive. Like, and I was like, Okay, let's try this. That's how about crazy. You tell me how many hours of studio time you're willing to pay for, uh-huh. and I'll do the mix in half as many times. Right. And they were like, no, 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 no one's ever done it like that. You can't do it like that. You're going to waste all our money. And I was like, please, why would you, like, at the time, you could, there couldn't have been anything less respectable than, like. I know. That was unheard of. Like When I was coming up, there was the, ed- the argument over editing. E- oh, whether, yeah. You weren't supposed to edit. It was, you like supposed to re- it was supposed to be one, one straight take. shot. And that's how I did every single one of my mixtapes. I had probably done, like. 20 mixtapes before this time right where it was like oh the entire thing recorded in one take no edits like, right it was like it was like uh, that's your integrity. badge of honor you're like yeah. i am a dj because i have made it through 60 minutes 60 without minutes fucking up. without fucking up exactly <laughs> like, 
No, and you're like, and your like phone rings or your cat. Run. I remember yeah. this deep flux who ran the, the the store in San Francisco. Red tape. Yeah. yeah, had his his uh, cat pulled the the turntable out of the wall, pulled the plug out of the wall, and so it was like, brr. And so he per- then he just did like a rewind and pretended like it was a live set. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, and like everyone would like hate on you if they found out you secretly oh, yeah. did an edit or if they caught you doing an they edit. They would catch. Yeah, they'd listen for an edit. Then they'd like get mad at you and they called you out on like that they had the breakbeat science message board at the time <laughs> yeah and that was like there was only a few message boards at the time it was like breakbeat science and holler hollertronics the holler yeah, board right it was like people would talk shit about oh this person didn't edit or like oh this person ripped yeah like some set off of the internet and then cut dub plates from the right. radio yeah and is playing like illegally obtained illegally dub obtained <laughs> like it was such In- a dj interpol is knocking on their door <laughs> i mean think about that now i mean people it's like they'll fucking steal and cut and put together everything it's not even like you can even say anything yeah about like it. no one you couldn't even if you don't want people to have it then just don't yeah, don't put it on the internet yeah exactly Exactly. But like back then, it was all it was all serious. But I it was, was super serious. I was so gobsmacked that they wanted me to do that. I was like, look, I'm about to say that I don't even want to be signed by you. If you're gonna tell me I need to do it this way, like I'm not gonna do it. Like right. I'll, just, I'll just. Oh, that's awesome. I'll just. You were willing to to like walk away from this deal that was kind of yeah, like the made it deal. Because it just seemed so. I was like. My entire life is about like being authentic and like proving to everyone. Like originally when I started DJing, I would wear like a hat and I'd wear really baggy clothes because I didn't want anyone to be like, oh, she's good for a girl. Right. I just wanted people to like look, not really know who they were seeing and be like, oh, yeah, that was dope. This is cool. And then, oh, if they found out I was a girl and they were surprised, like cool. But they would never have to be um, forced to judge me by looking at me and be like, oh, right, for a girl. So... So yeah, eventually I, I wore them down and let them convince them to let me try to mix it. And I did. I did it the first day. They were like, okay, you have two days of studio. Yeah. So I did it the first day and they were like, oh my God, how did you do that? I'm like, well, I fucking practiced it like 8,000 yeah. times. Like, what do you mean? How did I do that? How do I make any tape? Yeah. How does anyone do anything right? You did know? you write it down? Did you have like a, like, you know where the pitch is supposed to be on each one and stuff? I would do that sometimes. No, I never got that. I didn't get that into it. I've uh. never like been a... Or label your records. I have friends who would label their records with like you know where it, oh i do that now but uh-huh. I, I at the time i didn't do any of that i thought yeah. that was all i thought you had to s- literally just have it all in your head and that even like writing it down would be was like cheating or yeah, something yeah that it was like too much that you're like you're not a real dj if you need to like write down things and plan it out but of course i planned out all the because back then to do a mix cd you had to license all the songs in advance so you may end up with oh 20, you had to license the songs yeah we had to pay there was like a budget oh. it was like x amount of dollars like it was like four hundred dollars per track to put a song on a mix cd that's um, crazy it was crazy because a lot of the songs i wanted people were like no it's a thousand dollars and right. they were like well we can't pay for that and i'm like right. fuck i really want to use this song yeah so you know it ended up being like here i don't know maybe it was like 18 or 19 tracks like they really they only wanted me to have like 14 and i'm like but i mix faster than that like i need right. to have more than right. that and they're like well you're gonna need to find tracks that like we don't have to pay for them that someone will just sign off on it for no advance so oh. i had to do a lot of like wow sleuthing and looking and digging and and you know but then eventually you're like okay here's the 19 tracks yeah now you gotta make them all fit together right because you're you're trying out things for months, like planning on it, but then when the song you really wanted to start the the set with doesn't come through, that throws up like, the whole thing. Oh, now I got to find another song. Yeah. Okay. 
but you know, yeah. So eventually I did it and, and it became resonance and it ended up being a really good, really high selling CD for them. And it did really well. And they put me on a tour and nice. it super like kicked off my DJ career in like right. a, an awesome way where I was like, Oh, playing at ultra and playing festivals. And right. Right and, off the, like, right. Pretty early in your career, right? As a DJ. No, I wasn't early. I mean, it was five years into it. Five years into it. I mean, today that's like an unheard of amount of time. Like if anyone was like, oh my God, it took five years for them to be signed. They'd be like, you're pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Right. I know kids who have given up in under a year when they have 50,000 Facebook fans because someone told them that they were unviable. And it's like, what do you mean? Right. This person created their own sound and has 50,000 Facebook fans and they barely ever post and they have like... People are like rabid. Their song went to number one, and your some agent told them they're unviable, so they quit. <laughs> really? Yeah. Who is that? Do I have to say? Uh, you don't have to do anything. It just makes me sad. Yeah, it's singularity. Sad. They they made him quit. He's not singularity anymore. Really? Is yeah. he doing something else? Yeah, he's got a new project that I can't say what it is because uh. he hasn't like. He, he's still trying to get the tracks all signed, but he right. literally like makes. Now he still writes brilliant music. Nothing yeah. can ever take that away from him because he's in a amazing artist but now instead of making what he was making he's making 128 beats per minute sounds like a vici oh really and it's like it's still beautiful and i still like will totally support whatever he does but it breaks my heart that like someone talked him out of yeah it's like he's like oh obviously it's not gonna work because i've been like doing this for a year and like every time a year can you imagine that it's just like yeah a year. A and year. I tried to talk. I, I, I cried. I tried to talk him out of it. I Did was like, you? what can I do to make you not give up on this? Yeah. And he's like, there's nothing you can do. All I want to do is like get my music to as many people as possible. And I'm like, yeah, I respect that. Sure. But it sucks that he can't just like make the music he wants now. Yeah. Especially now in this world where I feel like making what you want is really what sets you apart. Well, it is. It absolutely set him apart. And he made an entirely unique fan base. But because the people who booked him weren't really suited to booking right, him, right. they... They didn't know they how didn't, to sell it. Exactly. They didn't know how to sell it. And instead of him realizing that, which I tried to tell him that a million times, I was like, look, these people just don't know what they're doing with you. Like, let me help you. Let me, like, do anything to help you. I would, I would literally, like put my whole life on hold to like make this work out for you right but he was like he no. was just not into it no wow so after you were djing for a while how did play me records evolve were you eventually like you saw how the industry worked and you thought if i'm gonna do this right i need to have a record label like that's the next step is that what it felt like play me came about after a whole bunch of years i had written an entire album that was supposed to be released on this drum and bass label and very long story, very shortened. The person who was meant to release it, their computer malfunctioned and they hadn't backed up any of it. And the entire record was lost Oh my god! simultaneously. Like his computer took a shit after we had mixed and mastered it for three weeks. And my computer literally like stopped turning on that I had written it on. Uh So three years of work went down the toilet in like 48 hours. Oh my God. And so I was like completely devastated after that. And then I started, where were you living at this point? In Venice. Okay. You'd moved to LA. Yeah. I moved to LA in 2002. Like I did, I did my first tour for residence 2001. Then I jumped right on tour with Ming and FS Uh after that in 2002. Yeah. And then moved to L.A. in the middle of 2002. Then 2003 did Life After Dark, did a tour for that. Then I 
became the DJ on the Jamie Kennedy experiment. I know. I saw that for in like your a year. List. Oh, you were the DJ on the show. Yeah. I was wondering what you were on the show. That's funny. And yeah. did they tell you what to play? I was only allowed to play music that I had the rights to play where they didn't have to pay any license fees. So I was playing all this like breakbeat science songs and like songs I had written like back in the day. It was really like when silly. Like when do when is there time for music in the show? Was it like... Just in between commercial. Oh. It wasn't like real DJing. It was literally It was like, a thing where they're like, we have a DJ yes. on our show. Yeah, because like Ellen had come out with a DJ on her show and then they were like, oh. oh. Or something like that. Some their People were starting to have DJs like the Wade Robinson project or whatever. I don't know. It was oh, all yeah. new. Dave Chappelle, I think, had a DJ. Right. So they, I just did they that. They had a DJ, right. So I would be on screen for like seven seconds of every show. It was like, whatever. <laughs> it was fun. It was a great experience. It was fun? Yeah, it was super fun. Like I would just go wherever and they'd set me up with this whole DJ setup and I literally would just hit play for seven seconds right. and they'd cut away from me and that was it. Uh-huh. Whatever. It was a cool experience. And they paid you. And they paid me really well. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Um. But while that was happening, I was like starting to write this this album and I was doing all that and then... I feel like 2005 four, four, six is when the album like went to shit when it was like, oh, you know, I started you just, working like, lie like 2003. In bed for, were you just like, dev- like, yeah, I was completely devastated. That's, 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 that would be so heartbreaking. I didn't even, Can't I wasn't even, even sure if I wanted to keep making music or what should I do. So I started yeah. throwing parties. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, we used to do those breakdown parties. It started out as a thing called Icebreaker, where we were uh-huh. doing breaks in the side room of Splendid. Uh-huh. So we started booking people like Balbinga and 30 Hertz and uh-huh. Gins. And and then we kind of outgrew that venue. And then Bass Rush was doing the drum and bass Wednesdays. And yep. then they started having us do the side room of that. And we, were, we called it Breakdown. And then we were... You know, our room was like totally crazy. And everyone was like trying to get in our room. And drum and bass was like on the decline. And right. blah, blah. So New School did, Breaks was totally coming up right then. Yeah, Breaks was like the hot thing right then. And yeah. we kind of just were in the right place at the right time where we were like, oh, we've been playing this music since like early 2000s. Right. And now all of a sudden people really like it and it's hit its stride. That's and- the same path I took too. It was like from all the all the drum and bass got to macho aggro and then I discovered Tipper and Cy Bag, and I was oh, like, yeah, oh, Tipper. this is the Tipper's shit. Tipper's the jam. Isn't he? Yeah, he's the man. But, like, for me, it came more out of, like, two-step because I was playing a lot of two-step and speed right. garage, and then that whole scene, like, imploded on itself. But a lot of the producers, right. like Rennie Pilgrim, and, like, mm-hmm. they had all been doing stuff before. Stan Warriors. Right. Um, Decline. Mm-hmm. They all moved over to more, like, the break side of things. So I just kept on with that. I was still doing drum and bass. Right. But because of the whole album thing, because that was a drum and bass album, right. it was kind of had some break songs on it, but... I was just, I was still DJing drum and bass, but I was also DJing a lot of breaks. But then after like a year of doing the parties, uh, Josh David, the guy I was doing the parties with, and his brother, Matt, and I decided, oh, well, let's try producing together. And we entered a remix comp- competition for Crafty Cuts, uh-huh. a bass phenomenon, and we won the contest. Oh, awesome. So that was like the first thing we ever did together. And we right. were like, cool, this works really well because Matt was like a genius uh, engineer guy. Mm-hmm. Who only liked happy hardcore and hardstyle, <laughs> so had no idea about breaks or house or anything. Yeah. And Josh is like good at talking to people and stuff, so he was like, would always like just hit everyone up and whatever. Right, he was a right. good promoter. So we started working together and we did breakdown together for like like 2007, 2008. We were doing breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that they. <laughs> In a few short words, I guess they had, <laughs> they reconsidered what they wanted out of the project and were not honest with me about it. 
and told me that they wanted to quit the project and then literally like deleted me out of the whole thing. Like, oh, really? Erased me oh my God, <laughs> from it, but kept brutal. doing it. It was awful. So it was like two really like devastating things where it was like, oh my God, I thought these dudes were like my best friends and they just like plunged uh, the knife as deep as possible into my back. Yeah. And so that's when I decided to start playing me. That was something Josh had always been talking about. was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. We should start a record label. Oh, here I'm doing the Josh David voice. <laughs> Is that you do hey, his voice? Hey, let's do a record label, guys. <laughs> we should do a record label. <laughs> but I, I, it like echoed in my head. And like literally one day, this other friend of mine, Mark Subsonic, who is, runs a drum and bass label called Subsonic Sound, uh-huh. he hit me up and he said, hey, do you have any interest in starting a record label? Because I have this distributor and they really want me to do like a label that's not a drum and bass label, but I only like drum and bass. I really hate all other music. Like other music sucks, but I like money. So do you want to <laughs> do this label? Do you want to like, you can like... Oh, that's what he was saying, not you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was his feeling. Yeah, because yeah. he was making money like hand over fist with his drum and bass label on on... Because he was one of the only drum and bass labels that was doing digital sales. Right. And it was at the dawn of Beatport really becoming the next medium of right. where people bought their music and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and he was like, this is like a no-brainer. I make thousands of dollars every quarter on this drum and bass label when every, everyone's like, oh, drum and bass is dead and no right. one's making any money. And I'm right. like making all this money. Right. He was like, let's do this. You you have really good taste in other music. You can just be the A&R side. I'll do all the business shit. And, you know, you deal with the artistic aspects and I'll deal with the business stuff and we'll just split everything. And I was like, great, that sounds amazing. And of course, promptly, he tried to get involved with all the artistic aspects of things. <laughs> he immediately just started, yeah. And he literally doesn't like this other kind of music and has really bad taste in other music. And right. so our first couple of releases were terrible. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Sorry, they were terrible. <laughs> um, Are you apologizing to the fans of Play Me and... Just the world in general. To whoever. <laughs> I don't know. But Because you guys couldn't find what you liked. No, so... because he was he was overriding me. I had stuff that I wanted to put uh, out. And he's like, no, no, but my friend made this electro track and right. we should put this out. And I was right. like, oh, this is terrible. And he's like, no, we gotta put it out. And 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 <laughs> so he was just like pushing through the stuff that he wanted and like not really wasn't like hearing me and wasn't letting me do what I'm yeah. good at. So I tried to tell him that I didn't like this and that we needed to shape things. And we weren't selling. And they then Beatport or our distributor hit us up and was like, hey, you guys are like in danger of not meeting sales quota. Right. If you don't meet your quota by the end of this quarter, like you're going to be dropped from Beatport. Right. And I was like, look, we're going to get dropped because you're picking awful tunes. Like, please just let me do the thing you wanted me to do. Yeah. Um. And so he promptly like decided he was just not going to talk to me anymore oh. instead of agreeing with me. So after a month, but of you're not, still running the thing. Well, I didn't have access to run the thing. Oh, I was right. just like the A and R and the artistic side of oh, things. Okay. So I went and hit up the str- distributor, and I was like, "Hey, I don't want to like make a bunch of drama here or involve yeah. you, but homeboy who has all the back end for my label." like won't speak to me anymore uh-huh. and it's really stupid and like you told us that we're gonna get kicked off Vport, and I don't want this to happen I believe that we can do this uh-huh. so do you think you can just kind of like give me all the details and like not like kind of like take him away from this <laughs> and they were like yeah you know whatever he's kind of curmudgeonly you're right okay right. whatever yeah if he hasn't talked to you in a month that's really stupid like here here's all the info right so the the third release we put out was it was a Leah Luna song called Leaving for Mars. I got B Rich to remix it. Uh-huh. And Mike Balance. And that song 
like crack the top 20 of Vport dubstep. And that was right when B Rich. What year is this? 2009. Okay. So that really turned things around. And then everything we did after that, like the next release after that, I think was Ultra Black. And then we did Hulk. And then we did, um, well, we actually did Dylan Francis's first release. We've done a lot yeah. of people's first. We were like the first stop for a lot of people. Yeah. We helped a lot of people kind of. And these are your picks, right? Yeah. yeah. So after You're a real tastemaker. You know, you always have been. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's. That's the thing I mean, when I, I look at the Play Me catalog, it's just like you have so many firsts and you're right at the edge where you're like, you're a bit, you're ahead of the game. And that's really what I always think of as a true tastemaker where you're going like this Moon Baton track is dope and no one even knows what the fuck word, the word means. Totally. You know what they mean? They think it's like West African dance class <laughs> stuff. I mean, that's, that's the thing that was always exciting for me. I mean, that's the thing that I'm really good at in life. I to feel break like stuff. I'm so just like, good at picking the right songs where I know. I can hear a song for 10 seconds and know like how the people would react on a dance floor right, to it. Right, right. So I took all of that and applied it to, de to running the label. And really just the label turned itself around immediately. Like all of a sudden, all of our releases were like going in the top 10 with brand new artists. And, no one had, and dubstep was like a new thing. It yeah, wasn't, really new in 2009 it, it was, in the States. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't new from the sense of how the music had been evolving. Right. It had been around for a long time. Like, I have the old Temper records, you know, mm -hmm. of, like, Benga and, and Code 9 right. from early 2000s where they were making, you know, proto-dubstep. It was still two-step or right. know, garage at the time. But right. then it kind of split off all the darker, less pop sounds became dubstep. But at the time, that wasn't what appealed to me. What always appealed to me is like big shit, like bass lines and right. big samples and melodies and like right. people being excited about stuff. So it wasn't until the bass came into dubstep when when dubstep became, I know a lot of people hate it. They're like, oh, that's what killed North Americans, killed dubstep. But for me, that's what made it. That's what made it interesting right. and exciting. That's what I right. loved and that's what... I feel like we helped usher in that wave, that North American, the bro step that yeah. everyone hated so much. <laughs> like, I love that. And I, uh -huh. I, I, it's not the only music that I love, and I wouldn't want to hear it all night, every night for the rest of my life. Uh -huh. But I love big tunes, and I love big bass lines, and I love big sounds, and yeah. punchy drums, and, and all of that. It was like what what dubstep had always lacked and why I wasn't feeling it, all of a sudden it had it. In, right, in right. Droves. I see. It had attitude and it had like yeah. this rave vibe. Do you think it's from your rave roots? Like Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely a lot a lot different now. And it's, I do feel like it's coming back towards that like, oh, early 90s vibe where you walk into a rave and it's like right. there's 10 DJs on one stage and they're going to, each one's going to play a different genre of music, but it's all, everyone's going to dance for the whole night right. to all the stuff. Right. Yeah, on some level that's happening, but it's just on a on a big, really fucked up scale. Where now people, it's not that they are dancing all night because they love every DJ. It's because they really don't care what's going on. <laughs> They're like, I'm on drugs. I'm <laughs> it. So does that? Yeah. What do you think about that? Does that bum you out? That I because I feel that way too. A lot of times I'm like, there's just no, there's not a lot of taste out there. People aren't going out for the experience to, ex to explore new music the way me and you were. Yeah. They're going out for the experience and to just be out with their friends yeah, and, and to turn up, yeah, as exactly. you keep saying. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it... Uh, I try not to get bummed out by it because you can't... Yeah. It doesn't do me any good to like no. be bummed by it. Um, 
I'm grateful that there's still an underground scene that thrives that doesn't rely on you, any of that. There is still an underground, you think? Yeah. I play a lot of events where uh-huh. it's not, people want to hear good music. And right. if you're going to play Turn Down for What, they're going to be really pissed. Yeah, totally. And that's cool. I mean, I play shows where people want to hear Turn Down for What five times. Right. But <laughs> it's cool to play other shows where people actually really do want to just hear good music and are down for it and mm-hmm. are not. Mm, yeah i don't know do you think my my theory is this that all these kids who are like 14 and you're like what's your favorite dj and they're like skrillex and you're like what's the first music you ever heard and they say skrillex (laughs) uh they're gonna eventually like discover the roots of all this stuff and when they're in four years and five years they're gonna actually know they're gonna they're gonna have a little more reference to understand what's good and what's bad right now it's like it's your favorite because like when you're eight years old whatever you have in front of you is your favorite you know yeah i don't know i don't know if they're ever gonna bother to dig deep i don't i'm not sure that the generation of today really cares Uh I, i think a lot of the producer generation does care about the roots yeah but i don't think the people attending the corporatization of EDM has kind uh-huh. of wiped out the discovery of the new or right. to go for to go to a party for the music. I I don't think that's gonna be Do you think that do you think this is a bubble that's gonna burst eventually? This the ED, the ED, the EDM industry, like as you said, because all the big promoters have bought up all the small promoters and bought up all the venues and everything. And then they just book all the art. Now they, you know, yeah. all the CAA and Windish and all these big agencies have all the DJs and they book those on the festivals that they're a part of. It's like the whole thing is like the, you know, music industrial complex or something. <laughs> That's a very good way to put it. Um, I don't know. I'm sure that the bubble will, will burst in the sense of whatever the next generation of kids are going to find music that they want to make their own. And it's yeah. probably not going to be EDM because it's such a huge thing now. Like what, what are the misfits doing now that EDM is the mainstream thing to do? Right. When we were coming up, well, that's up, what I was going to say. We yeah. were the misfits and that's, we right. sought that alternative experience because yeah. we didn't like what was on the radio and we didn't like yeah. what they, what concerts were putting on at Madison Square Garden. And now totally. it's like, you can go see Bass Nectar at Madison Square Garden. Right. And you can see Dylan Francis at the Barclay center like yeah so i think i don't know what the next thing will be i'm not a crystal ball but i i would i would guess there's going to be some kind of backlash where kids growing up today reject corporate edm and the misfits are going to try to find some other maybe they're going to be into playing fiddles and folk right. music who knows like when we have kids we'll put on turn down for what and they'll be like turn off this oldies <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh that's funny yeah i mean i think there will be some sort of a rejection of edm because there's got to be some sort of backlash right because that's exactly how every punk movement started like edm was a backlash from all this cheesy pop really styled out hip-hop that had lost its underground vibe and now but now that's come up so yeah maybe it'll be like a jug and a washboard (laughs) washboard records is what i'm gonna start yeah (laughs) that's what's up that is what's up (laughs) so um what do you think about like just the that what we were just talking about the quick rise of some of these djs and they're getting paid like so much money so fast without putting in the time without putting in the hours without even really knowing that much about mixing Yep. I mean, you don't even really hear that much. I still, I can't help it. I'm, I'm focused on the mixing of my sets always. Yep. Like I'm listening and I'm, and then I'm like, I'm the only fucking one listening. Like one day I went back to the hotel room and I was thinking about a mistake I'd made. Yep. And I was like, 
I'm the only fucking one who even knew that that happened. And it wasn't because it was subtle. It was because no one gives a shit. No. Yeah. They don't give a shit. And they don't, as long as you, the DJ, look like you're having a good time. Right. There will be no fucks given. Well, and I've seen people you post. You play the same you, song three right. times in a row. Right. You, I mean. Have you seen that kind of stuff go down? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen people get so shit hammered. They don't even remember they already played a song and played it again. No uh-huh. one cares. Right. Or sometimes there, one guy will go on, oh, he played the same song three times. <laughs> and everyone's like, whatever, we got so turned. <laughs> And, and yeah, I don't think people really care. I mean, that's. So do you think the art of the DJ is getting lost in this? It's definitely been lost, but I do feel that there are still there's still a faction of people out there that actually yeah. care about that. I'm not sure how many people there are, uh-huh. or how if they're all old. Right. You know, I don't know too many young <laughs> kids that think that DJing is cool. They don't even they think don't that think, there is know, an art to it. They're like, oh well, I can just press the sync button. What what could I possibly? A monkey could do it. Right. And it's like, yeah, but a monkey can't doesn't know what two tracks to put together and where to start the mix and end the mix so that it increases people's serotonin levels properly. Right. Or like, to me, that's the thing about, it's like the appeal of DJing for me when I got into it was, it was a very wizard of Oz thing. It's like, you're the, you're the man behind the curtain Uh and you're the one pulling the strings to make this amazing. It was mysterious. Yeah. People people sometimes would thought I was making the music with the record players. Exactly. They'd be like, Oh, you have like the beat on that one turntable and then the the vocals on the other one. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But it was very mysterious. People didn't know. It was like alchemy, like we're it was. magic. It was. And, and you couldn't see, there was no visuals and there was magic no the gathering. lights on the stage. And if anything, the DJ booth was really dark or sometimes yeah, it was right. in the corner or it was elevated. You couldn't always see the DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of times I was too short to even be seen over the top of the booth. <laughs> but that was the appeal of it for me. I was like, I don't want people looking at it me. It wasn't I'm, about being up there and being recognized. Exactly. Like yeah. I've never had any desire to be A, famous, be a performer. Uh-huh. I don't, I'm not a singer. Like, I don't want to be having thousands of people. Do you feel uncomfortable when you are so highlighted and the DJ booth is all lit up and you're like. I feel so uncomfortable and I don't know. I'm not good at talking on the mic. So it's like, I'm failing to be relevant in today's DJ terms because (laughs) I don't, I don't know how to get on the mic and be like, yo, everybody put your fucking hands up. Right. It's like, that just seems so. It has nothing to do with what I'm doing at all. And unfortunately, something that does kind of bum me out is it just seems like that's there aren't enough people who care about what I actually do do for me to have a sustainable career just doing that. Like I have to play Turn Down For What sometimes or... Do you really play the song Turn Down For What or some remix of it? No, I'll play it sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I don't hold it against you. I I like the song personally. Where it's 18-year-old kids that... They literally, if you, if they don't know, because they don't know who I am, yeah. because I'm not famous to them and they don't right. know anything about my history or care. So I have to do whatever I can to engage the crowd. Because if I don't play at least a song like that to get their attention, yeah. they're going to just walk away and be yeah. bored. Even if my set is amazing, if there's not something that they recognize in it, what are they going to pay attention to? And is the worst feeling in the world watching somebody walk away as you put on a track? Yeah, it's it's a bad feeling. Yeah, I had a recent experience experience when I went and played in New Zealand. Uh-huh. The right when I started my set, the guy playing before me was doing an awesome job. He was killing it. The room was full. Everyone was stoked. Uh huh. 
he he was playing Electro House. He was like, oh no, they want it really hard. Like you should play like trap and dubstep and stuff and go hard and end right. with drum and bass. And I was like, cool, really excited. So he ends with a dubstep track so I can like easily mix out of it um, with dubstep. And as I'm playing my first song, like right as it dropped, the power cable fell out of the mixer. Uh-huh. But I couldn't see that. So I didn't know. Like the sound just cut out and right. I had no idea. I'm just standing there. I literally just started my set. I don't know what's going on. Right. And you're alone in the booth? No, no. He was there. He was there. But within two seconds, the entirety of... Sorry. The the entirety of the crowd started chanting, You fucked up! (laughs) Really? And he fixed the problem, I would say, within 90 seconds. Uh Uh-huh. And within 90 seconds, I would say... 200 people left the venue, just walked away. Really? People who paid money to come see right. a show told me that I fucked up when it hadn't, I wasn't even my fault. Right. And that sucks. walked away. And like, I, I, it was just one of the worst experiences of my life. <laughs> that to, sounds terrible. To feel like these people, not they don't even care right. that I didn't fuck up. I'm not playing on a computer that crashed. Right. Like, some shit happened that's completely right. out of my control, and the dude fixed it within right. 90 seconds. Right. And yeah, okay, within the next 30 minutes, like, people did come back in, and eventually it was all right. But it, but like, it was just the way to start it, it off. It really hurt my feelings. Yeah, I don't think I I've tell. ever had my feelings hurt more. I've never in my life cleared a room. Right. That was full. Right. That was the first time in, right. in X amount of years of DJing yeah. where I've ever caused people to walk away. Yeah. Usually, when I DJ, it's like the opposite effect. People <laughs> will come into the room and they'll have a good time. And when I'm done, it's funny that people... Be, one of the funny ob- observations I've made about the kids today and the culture, uh-huh. they don't know what I'm doing. They don't know what anyone's doing. Yeah. But when I'm finished, people will come up to me and say, wow, you know, I saw... Skrillex last month. I saw Cruella last month. I saw so-and-so, insert famous artist name here. Uh-huh. But you were like a million times better than them. And I'm like, it's 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 hard to try to explain to someone like, yeah, because like for the most part, like those big artists, like they really aren't doing any right. DJing. Like mm-hmm. they already know what they're going to play. And yeah, it may be a bunch of hits that the crowd might like, but it's not put together in a way that that fucks with your serotonin levels like a real DJ would uh-huh, do. Uh-huh. And that's the that's the thing that's missing from like all of these giant festivals and all this culture of like ghost producer and whoever and oh, all the same big famous artists play the same thing. It's like those people who do want an authentic experience, they're not getting it there. And then they come see someone like me who knows how to DJ, see someone like you who knows how to DJ, see someone like Z Trip who's a fucking incredible DJ. Yeah. And they're one like, of my favorite DJs. Holy shit. That's better than like, I don't understand. How are you not like as famous as Skrillex? And they're like, yeah, well, because you're the one dude of all the 500 people here, you're the only one that actually got what I was doing. Right. And like, that's cool. Like, I appreciate that yeah. you you thought you felt enough to come and tell me that yeah like that like means the world to me now yeah 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 but that's a rare thing yeah but it that's the funny thing that i i hear this every time i play a set there's one two five ten people that will tell me that like oh i don't know i don't know what it is right you know they don't even know how to talk about it they don't even have the language for it oh and i mean you know dylan francis was amazing but like your set like blew his away it's like yeah i mean dylan francis is actually a good dj but you know i mean i think skrillex is a really good dj i saw him play recently here in la and he was really good he was jumping around and playing cool stuff and doing cool mixes and that's awesome yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know. I don't go to a lot of festivals anymore, so I don't see a lot of, like, the yeah. other kind of stuff. But certain artists I have stood on stage while they're playing, and I'm like, I can attest that they're not doing a damn thing. Right. There isn't even, no one's even pushing play. The entire set is playing on Ableton, and they've got an entire thing hooked up where it looks like they're playing on four decks, and there's a microphone. Oh, really? It looks like somebody's doing all of these things, and nobody's doing anything. And they're you're turning watch- knobs, fake knobs. Nothing's they're knobbing. Like- they're, like, air knobbing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that that makes me sad because it hurts me that people are willing to spend their hard-earned money on something that's completely fake. Where yeah. it's like, don't you even care right. that this is not authentic? These yeah. people didn't write this music. Yeah. They aren't DJing for you right now. All yeah. they are doing is spazzing out on the stage. Yeah. And and that's it. And that to me, that's sad that there isn't more... People do not want the authentic experience. Uh-huh. They're like totally happy to pay a hundred bucks to see someone do absolutely nothing and maybe even like throw a cake at them or pour champagne on them. Or <laughs> I know. Otherwise soil the outfit that they worked for hours <laughs> to get looking this way. Well, I don't know if it took hours to just take their clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make you sad too? When no, I don't care. I love to look at hot girls. It only makes me uh-huh. sad when I can't tell if the girls are underage, and I'm like, I don't want to be made to feel like a pervert at a show. So if you are under 18, please keep your clothes on until you're over 18. <laughs> when you're totally. over 18, let it all hang out. If you feel good expressing yourself like that, right. more power to you. Yeah. I don't think that it's safe. Mm-hmm. I'm not even convinced that it's a respectable way to dress yeah i can't judge it like if people are comfortable that way fuck it more power to them yeah you won't see me dressing like that but you know i'm not comfortable dressing like that (laughs) and people shouldn't i don't think people should make girls like slut shame them because they want to you know guys take their shirts off at festivals and no one's like oh my god right that guy took his shirt off what a horror right so i don't think it's such a double-edged sword because it it's is. like, oh, they're asking for it. And it's like, yeah, you can't even deny that they are asking for it. Like, you came to a rave in your lingerie and you're right. like, maybe you just turned 18. Right. But yeah, you do totally look like a slut. Right. But I don't feel like that should be that an should excuse be a bad thing. to touch women inappropriately sure. or slut shame them or date rape them or roofie mm-hmm. them or anything. It's like, people should just have more respect for each other. Agreed. Agreed. Cool. Well, you want to tell people where to find your stuff, play me, read speed stuff. What are your, so I know you probably have like 15 social networking yeah, links because we've got of, a lot. Um, so, okay. My personal Facebook, facebook.com forward slash DJ Readspeed. All of my other social networks like SoundCloud, Twitter are just Readspeed. So soundcloud.com forward slash Readspeed. Right. Uh, Twitter. Readspeed. Is re- at Readspeed. Instagram is at Readspeed. Play Me Records is all just at Play Me Records. So Facebook.com forward slash Play Me Records, SoundCloud at Play Me Records, Twitter, Play Me Records, woohoo. Nice. Awesome. Um, Cats, weed, bikes, everything. Cats, weed, bikes. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thank you for talking to me. You have a really amazing career. You've done so much. Cool, Reed. You're the bomb. Thank you. Thank you. And you're welcome. All right, that's it for Live and Direct this week. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Keep listening to Adobe Radio. This is your host, Craddy, signing off.